don't give up reaching out to your neighbors. Don't give up speaking out truth at your workplace. God is on the move, and he is about to do something fantastic in our nation. Amen. And hence, we are looking at facing giants because we honestly and truly believe that God has a plan, that you were born in this nation at this time for this very reason, to bring his kingdom here. That all the difficulties you face, all the obstacles that seem to stand in your way are the enemy's attempt to keep you from fulfilling your destiny. And we want to get rid of those. We want to move those out of, out of the way so that you can stand in what God has called you to. That thing that beats in your heart, that, that passion that just rises up inside of you. And, you know, when you're alone and you, you think of what could be, we are here to tell you that's God in you. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's him rising up within you and saying, yes, it's possible. Yes, it's true. Believe me, don't stop working towards us because indeed you will, you will see it. So Lord, I just pray that as we talk through this subject, Lord God, that you would come. Lord God, it's more than my words. Lord, I pray that we would hear your words, that every person would have an encounter with you. Jesus, would you speak into the deepest parts of our own souls, Lord God? Would you, would you touch us with your presence, Lord God? Would you remove what is not of you and would you highlight what is you, Lord God? And would every person leave here more in love with you, more capable of doing what you've called them to do, Lord God? Stronger, bolder, more alive. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Before I begin preaching, I'd just like to welcome some pastors we have from uh, with us, not from us, with us, um, from Stellenbosch. Pastor Henny and Salome, won't you just stand up and wave at the people? Don't we have good-looking pastors in this movement? They're also very anointed, so if you want prayer afterwards, you just come find them. Oh, and Andrew just asked me to let you know that Mike is on leave. That's why he's not here today. It is his anniversary, and him and his wife are having a glorious time somewhere where they refuse to tell us. So we can't get hold of them, and we will only see them on Monday but, or Tuesday. But it's, um, yeah, we believe in family, and they are busy building one of our core values. <laughs> Don't even go there. Don't even go there. Okay, now we are looking at facing giants, overcoming powerlessness and frustration. <laughs> Many years ago, I was sitting in a small room in our house that we had converted into a study, and I was sitting on the floor. At that time, uh, we were busy, well, we had planted the church in Vintook, but um, Andrew had just gotten sick. My oldest son had just been diagnosed with severe learning disabilities. It was obvious that he wouldn't be able to make it at, in school. This is the one who is now graduating with a PhD, just saying. But um, I, I was sitting on the floor. In addition, um, our church was having an impact in the, in the nation, and as a consequence, somehow the enemy was really, really mad at us. So for some strange reason, we were getting phone calls on a regular basis, threatening to kill us, you know, saying, ah, we're coming to get you. Yeah. you know, it sounds funny now. It was quite scary at that time. Um, then, then also there were some people threatening 
to sue Andrew. They were saying Andrew had done some terrible things. I knew he hadn't because he was in bed and he had been in bed for the last couple of months sick. Um, but they, they were claiming he had, he had done some corrupt things and they were going to put it all in the newspaper. And so we knew that it wasn't true and so they could put it in the newspaper, but we knew the damage it would do to the reputation of the church. So I was, I was sitting on the floor of that small room and I have to be honest with you, I felt completely powerless. I felt that there were, you know, these things around us that were so, so much bigger than me. They, they were so much out of my control. I didn't have the power to stop that person who was phoning. I, you know, I, I couldn't make my son understand how to read. You know, I couldn't make Andrew better, although I'd done everything humanly possible. You know, I, these people who were threatening um, to sue us, I, we didn't even know who they were. We'd gone to the police, but, you know, it was just this, this crazy thing. We had no power to stop stop all these things that were happening around us. And I, I remember sitting on the floor and um, I really was complaining to the Lord as we do from time to time and sitting there and just telling him how unfair this was and, you know, that, you know, I just, how did he expect us to get through this? And as clear as anything, he said this to me. He said, the thoughts that you nurture and water right now will become the reality of the harvest that you see in years to come. And I understood as he said that, that we were gonna make it through, that you know, stu and stuff did happen. My son clearly got over his learning disabilities. Clearly Andrew has been healed. Clearly whatever those people were threatening to sue us about didn't happen. The phone call stopped all over time. God certainly brought us through that, that difficult time. And, and I understood he was going to do that, but I also understood how I handled that moment would determine a lot about my future. All of us are going to face some difficult things. I'm so sorry, that's not a message you wanted to hear in church. I know it's not. But I, I wouldn't be doing my duty as a pastor if I promised you absolute perfection and, and ease of life from here on out. There's a battle on. We know that we win in the end, but nonetheless, there is a battle. And you will face difficult times. And sometimes they will feel overwhelming. And there is a temptation to feel powerless, to, to in that moment begin to agree with the devil that there is no way out of this situation. And in that moment, what happens is you create a reality that you will reap. And so I'm here to tell you that there is so much more to the kingdom. There is so much more to the kingdom. And these are temporary tests. These are temporary gym sessions for your faith. This is God sending you into the gym to build muscle. Yes. Because there is something coming. There is, there is victory and grace coming to you that you will need strength to carry. You will need might to release it to your neighbors, to your family, in your workplace. And God is training you for something bigger than you've even imagined. So there is a man in the Bible who faced a kind of situation like this. His name was Paul. He's quite famous. Do you know him? He's spoken of quite um, often in the Bible. But him and Silas were in a city called Philippi. And as they were going around sharing the gospel, 
doing what apostles do, healing the sick, raising the dead. Sorry, they were doing what Christians do, healing the sick, raising the dead, preaching the gospel, starting churches. They were doing what Christians do. And as they were walking along, uh, a a woman or a young girl, a slave girl who had a demonic spirit was walking behind them and shouting out after them. Clearly, this got a bit irritating. So after a while, Paul turned around and cast the demon out of her. Let me do you a favor, sweetheart. Let me set you free. And he did that. This girl, this slave girl had a master who used her to tell people's fortunes. And now that the demon was gone, she could no longer tell their fortunes. And so he began to lose money. And as a result, he started kind of a smear campaign, a a negative movement against Paul and Silas. And we pick up the story right here in Acts 16, verse 19. It goes like this. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrate and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful to us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought the them out and asked, sirs, what may I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Can we just give the Lord a hand for that? I mean, I don't know how you feel, but I just, if that doesn't tell you that there are no impossible situations, I don't know what does. In the in the inner cells, no, probably no light, a probably stinking, damp, terrible place. Your feet in the stocks, you've been beaten. I want you to picture this. He's been beaten and flogged, which means his back would have been raw and open. Then when you put, the, put in the place, your feet are put in stocks, which means you cannot move. That means you can't get into a better position, a more comfortable position. A God outside, and really, you have done nothing wrong. There's no way to even defend yourself. There's no way to get comfortable. There's no way to even sleep. Hence, at midnight, they are praying and singing hymns. You know, Paul and Silas weren't the only people in their prison. There were many other people in the prison, and my guess is many of those people were there for legitimate reasons. Even though Paul and Silas were innocent and thrown in there for no real 
reason, many of those other people there were there because they had stolen, perhaps even murdered, that they had damaged relationships, they had done bad things. But what I notice about Paul and Silas is that although they were in prison, they were not in prison. And I want to propose to you that the, all the other people that were in prison with them had been in prison for years before they actually found themselves in a building called prison. And I want to propose to you that the reason they ended up in prison is because prison had already captured their hearts. You know, I think... I, I'm absolutely convinced none of you are heading to real prison. <laughs> I'm absolutely convinced of that. <sighs> good news, good news. However, I am, I am convinced that all of us at times indulge in thinking patterns and ways of looking at the world that put us in emotional, spiritual prison. And I want to talk about two kinds of prison. First of all, kind of a prison of frustration. How many of you felt some frustration in your life? If there are any parents in here, I know you felt frustration. If there are any married people, I know you felt frustration. If there are any human beings in here, I know you felt frustration. But you know, frustration is really about fighting things that you can't beat. And very often, we're going after the wrong things. We're fighting things that can't change. Very many years ago, a prophet came to me, and this prophetess, actually, she was a woman, she came to me and she said, I have this prophetic word for you. And it was one of the most life-changing moments for me. I was experiencing huge amounts of frustration. I felt that every time I stepped out in ministry and what I felt God had called me to, there was a, a dead end, a block. I wasn't allowed to or something stopped me. And she looked at me straight in the eyes and she said, stop trying to bash down the walls, outgrow them. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. I took it to heart. I stopped going after those walls and I worked on myself. I said, God, I'm going to, I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. I'm going to become new. I'm going to, I'm going to understand your ways more. I'm going to live in freedom right where I am right now. I'm going to live in joy right where I am right now, even if nobody around me changes. And one day I looked again and those walls were so tiny. I thought, why had I even worried about them? And I found myself step, using them as stepping stones to just walk where I needed to go. So things we can't beat. Here, here's, a, here's a good thing to understand, that change is inevitable. If you work, if you're fighting against change happening in your environment, as we often do, oh, I want things to always be as they were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I'm so sorry. Change is inevitable. Things are going to be different. There are necessary endings in life. Not all relationships last forever, except your marriage. How about this one? Life is not fair. 
Guys, can we just all accept this? Life is not fair. Some people start out with more than you. Resources-wise, gifts-wise, skill-wise. My, my husband was funny just when he was born. He came out laughing. <laughs> I work so, I tell jokes, I mean, I practice jokes for hours on end. And then I, I say them at the dinner table to my, test them out, because you know, you've got to start small. Test them out, and the, my family looks at me like, what is your problem? <laughs> and I come to, I've come to this conclusion, life is not fair. <sighs> Andrew's saying, yeah, I got more brains. Can we all just give him a hand? Yeah. <laughs> it's not really true, but anyway, let's just enjoy that for a moment. But life isn't fair. But here's the thing that is so liberating. God is just. And this is what it means, is that he's not going to hold me accountable for how many times I made people laugh. <sighs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I just made you laugh. It's so great. But he's not holding me accountable. Why? Because he didn't give me that gift. Or maybe he's slowly growing that gift. I don't know. But you understand what I'm saying. But, but it, maybe he's going to hold Andrew accountable for that. I don't know, darling. don't know. But, but he's going to hold you accountable for what he gave you, not what he gave the person next to you. He's not looking for an increase you can't give. He's looking for you to enjoy, develop, and work with what you do have. And here's another one. Pain is part of life. You know, if everyone were perfect, life would be pain-free. But the truth is that all of us have issues. And as a result, no matter how, how much we try to live well, we end up hurting each other. And we can choose to live in bitterness, unforgiveness, jealousy, anger about the pain that has happened. Or we can just choose to say, you know what, pain, pain happens. Love, the consequence of love, one of the consequences of loving someone, opening your heart up honestly and openly and authentically in a relationship is that at some stage you will be hurt. And the only choice is to close down your heart and say, I just won't love. And that is like prison bars around you, stocks on your feet. It's a prison all of its own. And so deep in our hearts, we have to say this, that there will be pain in life, but we have a God who is perfect, who's able to minister to every one of those needs, who's able to heal, deliver, touch those places, help you, release you, set you free. So we have a prison of frustration. We also have the prison of powerlessness. And that is the opposite of that. It's, it's surrendering to a defeated enemy. Three things the devil throws at you all the time. Temptation. And with temptation come these lies. You can't live without this. You deserve this. You need this. This is not so bad. But the truth is, when Jesus hung on the cross, 
the Bible talks about how he was tempted in every way as we were, and yet without sin. Through his life and his death on the cross conquered sin and death for you. It conquered temptation for you. It gave you a new... It, Jesus' death and resurrection gave you access, gave you access to the life that you are truly craving, that temptation is offering you a substitute for. Accusation. How about a little bit of accusation? <laughs> when you're driving home from work, what? That person who didn't get the job done and made me look bad with my boss. In your ear. You, you know those. You know those conversations. How about an accusation thrown at you? And what we can do is we, we can just submit to this. Yes, I am a bad person. Or yes, that is a bad person. Instead of standing up and realizing that God defeated the accuser of the brethren. That Jesus Christ stands forever before our Heavenly Father, making intercession for us, saying the absolute opposite of, of accusation, saying, Lord, don't count their sins against them. In fact, Lord, look at the great things they're doing, bringing before our Heavenly Father constantly who He's made us to be, what we could be. And last of all, deception. The lies that the enemy throws at us, we swallow hook, like line, and sinker and make our own. There is no hope. There is no way out. Something bad is about to happen. I'm defeated. You're all very sober right now, but that means because you actually don't know what I'm talking about. You've never experienced anything like this. So for all those other people, and these become... If we dwell on them, allow them to make a place, become the, the very prisons that we live in. But Paul and Silas, the good news is although they were in a physical prison, they didn't allow any of these. I mean, how easy would it have been to engage in any of those things? And yet at midnight, they were found praising and singing psalms. I've often wondered what motivated them at that moment to look past the prison bars, to look past the stinking walls, to look past the pain that they were feeling in their bodies. What motivated them to look past that and see something else? Paul was a very good Jewish boy. He would have learned the Jewish scriptures from beginning to end. And he would have remembered Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and increase, fill the earth and subdue it. And he would have known that from the beginning of time, God had made a declaration over mankind. God had made a declaration over all creation that his purposes were to, through mankind, bring his kingdom, his ways, his values, his truth into every area of life. And Paul would have sat there and said, I know the story. I know how it began. I know what God's purpose is. I know the great mission that God has on earth. And I know that it will not be thwarted. He would have known Genesis 12, 3, as God spoke to Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He would have understand that God meant every human being to be a conduit of blessing on this earth. He would have understood that his life mattered. 
that through him God was invading the world with truth, compassion, life, blessing, miracles. He would have looked at Matthew 10, he wouldn't because it wasn't written, but he would have remembered <laughs> being told how Jesus said, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What would he have learned from that? He would have understood that Jesus' death and resurrection created a new reality where those very things he'd learned in the Old Testament become a reality now. They, they are a future event, but they're also about God invading the world now. He would have understood that sitting there, he, had a, he was the conduit through which God could come and not only touch him, but invade that entire prison. And last of all, he would have remembered Jesus' words, go and make disciples of all nations, and I am with you always, even to the end. So as they began to pray and worship, in his mind, he's thinking this is just a stepping stone to one more, one more example of God bringing his kingdom, of God manifesting his truth. He had no idea how that was going to happen, and I'm sure the fact that the earthquake started was a little bit of a shock to him. I mean, I'm sure he was prepared to, to have it just end up that, you know, he was released the next day or that he got to share with the, the uh, prisoners around him the truth of Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm sure those would have been all great outcomes. I'm sure even death would have felt like a great outcome to him because when you're sitting in heaven with Jesus, nothing else seems important. But as they are sitting there praying and worshiping, the ground begins to shake. The doors burst open. Their stocks fly open. And they stand, you know, I, I wondered why they didn't all run, but I think some of it was like total shock. It's like, what do we do with this goodness of God that's manifesting around us right now? In the prison, they begin to praise and the result was power. In your hardship, when you resist powerlessness, when you resist frustration, and you begin to nurture in your mind those seeds of praise, of adoration towards God, of talking about His plan for your life, His plan for this nation, His kingdom coming, when you start remembering and, and working on and thinking about what God is actually doing and who God is, there will be a manifestation of power in some way. I can guarantee you that. I don't know how it will come. I don't know what it will be. But I can guarantee you God will invade that environment through you because you will be watering the seeds of greatness and you will reap a harvest that looks like Jesus. Years later, he would write, Paul would write to the Philippians and he would say this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He was so captivated by Jesus that he was saying this, you know, whatever happens to me, he was writing from another prison when he wrote that, from prison to prison, really great prison ministry. But he was saying the most important thing 
is that in my difficulties, in my hardships, I find the power of Christ. I find him. We think about Jesus on the cross and we often think about his death and that's good and great and noble and wonderful, but he didn't stay on the cross and he was resurrected in power and that same resurrection power lives in you. The point of being born again, the point of coming to know him is that he changes you and he dwells in you and that same resurrection power now you have access to. There, the Bible calls it dunamis. And it means power, but it means a supernatural, aggressive, life-changing power that emanates from the inside of human beings as they are, as they are connected to Jesus. It's a, a life-changing power that touches, changes, invigorates. The same power, this divine power, this dunamis, has the power wherever you are to first and foremost change you. It comes to give you life and godliness that you could not have without it. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you look at your world. It changes what you expect from life. Second Peter 1, 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge, our knowledge, not out knowledge, something like our assurance, out knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And this power, again, Paul writing to the Ephesians, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work with us, within us. My friends, you carry, you carry something that you have not even begun to see the fullness of. There is no prison that can hold you. There's no set of thinking patterns that can keep you down. There are no circumstances that can keep out the joy in life of Jesus. I'm telling you this, that you carry a power that will transform things. I as I told you earlier, that, that very son that they told me could not be schooled, is about to graduate with a PhD, has been top of his class every university year. That husband that the devil was telling me will always be sick is no longer sick. Yeah, I know, give the Lord a hand. That as I sat on that floor, that church that the devil told me would never be built is thriving. It's now four congregations in its own building with two services. Yeah. Yes. And I don't know what happened to those people on the other side of the phone. <laughs> but I would have liked to have seen. Yeah, Andrew's saying they probably got saved. I did preach the gospel. You know, when they would, they would phone and they would start with the deep breathing, I would say, do you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Even you can be saved. <laughs> I, I'm inviting you to dare to believe. No, really, can we dare to believe? Can we dare to believe that your environment that can be changed because you're there. Can we dare to believe that that sick person next to you can be healed because you carry a power, a dunamis power that will not allow people to stay dead, sick, in grief? 
Can we dare to believe that our neighbors can be saved, that our children can thrive, that our friends can be transformed? Can we dare to believe that we can pass our exams? Can we dare to believe that our marriages can be saved? Can we dare to believe these things? And can we sit in those situations, resist powerlessness, resist, what was the other thing? Frustration. (laughs) And can we dare to believe that as we pray and praise Him and as we live out the joy that He has given us, that the walls will fall before us, that the objections will be wiped out, that the doubt will be gone, that sickness will be destroyed, that people will live. And like we saw with Paul and Silas, that the entire jail came and stood there listening. Can we dare to believe that the very jailers, the people who kept us in bondage, the the people who are throwing accusation and negativity at us, that those very people will sit at our feet and say, what must I do to be saved? Amen. Amen. This great power that we carry is perfected in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul again writing, he said this. He heard Jesus say this to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. God is not asking you to be perfect. He's not asking you to get it all together. He's not asking you for one more degree. He's not asking you to... uh, look like you come out of a magazine. He's asking you to be you. He's asking you to be you. And he's asking you to absolutely admit your weaknesses because in those places of weakness, he's going to come and put his power. I'll never forget the day I was praying and I I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to ask you for something so impossible. It could never happen. Well, two things. The first thing I asked him for, I said, I was kind of like testing God, like how great is this God really? And I said, Lord, I asked that everyone in my family would be saved. And as I wrote it, I laughed. You know, I was like, my family. And then the other thing I wrote underneath it is, I want to marry. I I put the perfect man, and I feel like I got that, but that wasn't the point. I want to marry a man that him and I would preach together in ministry. Now, why this was so, is that I was such a shy person that I just couldn't even say two words in front of anyone. So when I wrote that down in my mind, I was thinking, you know, even if you give me a great husband, that other part's never going to happen, that we minister together. Need I say more? (laughs) Need I say more? All my family did get saved. Every single one of them. In fact, I backslid after that, and they prayed me back into the kingdom. What can I say? (laughs) God is good. God is good. (laughs) His power give us, gives us power to overcome personal fears. You can just take down those scriptures yourself. It gives us power to overcome the power of the enemy. He's a defeated foe. Guys, the least of your problems are demons. Just tell them to get out your way. Infirmity. He gives us the power to bring justice, hope, witnessing ability, and good works. 
His power inside of us changes things. In conclusion, the seeds of thought you nurture will become the reality you harvest. You have access to more power than you ever imagined. Think more about Jesus than your problems, and you will see it manifest. Amen. Step out and believe God for more than you've had before. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? Lord Jesus. Lord, we're stunned that you're as good as you say, as the Bible says you are. Lord God, it, it, you know, it, Lord, it, it rocks my world every time I read these things, Lord God. It almost makes me want to go to prison so I can see that. Lord, Lord, would you come into our world, in the places where we have imprisoned ourselves, Lord? Would you come and shake those foundations? Would you destroy the enemy's plans against us, Lord God? Would you give us the joy you always meant us to live in? Would you give us the life you always meant us us to live in? And I speak to all all those hopeless, powerless places in everyone's hearts here, where they have looked at those situations and said, it can't change. I want to speak to those places. I want to speak to the demonic forces that are enforcing those thinking patterns. I say, bow before Jesus. I speak to those lies of the enemy and I command you to fall to the ground. That is not true. I prophesy over every life here. Victory, forward momentum, life, breakthrough. I prophesy over each person here that though you are going through a valley, there is a mountain on the other side and you will find yourself soaring on wings of eagles. I prophesy to every person here, there is no obstacle to the glory of God in your life. There is no obstacle to the dunamis power that dwells in you. I speak to every heart here and I say, live, breathe, work, reach out, laugh, love, live in every way because those walls will fall before you. Those people will be changed. Circumstances will change and they will change in response to the life of God within you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just receive that right now. Lord God, we receive that truth, Father God. Let it not, let us not pass this moment by. Really, guys, I, I want you to, in this moment, I want you to just sit with the Lord and I want you to ask Him, Lord, speak to me. Revitalize those places of doubt and unbelief in my heart. Set me free. Set me free. Even now, I I would love you to start speaking to those circumstances around you and just declaring that anything that stands in the way of God's glory must move, must bow, must change. And I want you to speak to your soul and say, Be strong, be courageous, be joyful, be alive, live, live. You're not waiting for some time in the future to start living. Live now, live now, live now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I do. I want to speak to every heart here and say, live now. 
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And in closing, I just want to invite, I know there are some people here that you might be at church for the first time or you might have been here many times. You might have been in other churches. But if you're honest with yourself, you would have to say that you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, that you've been living your life under your own direction. and It hasn't necessarily been a bad life. But if you're honest, you have to acknowledge that, that you need more. You need more than just your own effort. You want, you want a supernatural God in your life who's in charge and who's leading you. And, and you, you, you know that you've tried it all your own way. And although some has been good, not everything has been good. And you're looking for something more. And I want to tell you that Jesus is that more. Jesus is that thing you've been looking for. And if you're here and you would like to make that change, and you'd like him to be in charge, you'd like to surrender your life to him, would you just raise your hand where you are because I would love to pray with you. Is there anyone here who would like to do that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. done this before, you know this awkward silence. We don't mind the awkward silence. So if that's you and you would like to do it, just go ahead and raise your hands because I'd like to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, all of us here, we give all of our lives to you again. Can we all pray this together, church? Lord Jesus, I give you my life again. I confess, Lord, that I've lived less than I could. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want you to be Lord of all. In Jesus' name.